Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Edit audio. Hello, and welcome to Confessions, a podcast by Cosmo where your secrets are safe with us. My name is Mia Lardier, and today I'm joined by my guest co-host, Cosmo Sex and Relationships Editor, Veronica Lopez. Hi, Veronica. Hi, Mia. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're so happy to have you. So before we get into this week's confession, do you have something that you want to confess today? <sighs> I do. Let me know. Okay, so I've been thinking a lot recently <laughs> about, like, public laundry room etiquette. Okay, okay. And the reason I bring this up is because, okay, no one's allowed to judge me, okay? okay? The reason I bring this up is because, so my building has laundry in building, okay. like in the lobby. Right. Which, so grateful for, love yeah. that for me. And I swear I was maybe like one or two minutes late on getting my clothes from the dryer. Uh-huh. I go down and someone has removed my clothes and put it not just on top of the dryer which like all right fine right annoying but i get it like i was late that's on me right but has also put it like the machines are stacked on top of each other so this person put it like on the top of the the top machine and like i'm five feet tall there's no (laughs) way i'm reaching that i had to like go back upstairs to grab my big ladder bring it back downstairs get my laundry and i was furious of course and also like it's dusty up there like disgusting you're right not great so i left a passive aggressive note (laughs) (laughs) i love that and the note said something like if you're gonna be rude enough to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't. If you're going to be rude enough to move my things, at least be polite enough to put them where I can reach them. <laughs> I love that, though. I think you got to tell people what's up. You know, I never do that. Like, yeah. I'm very, like, I'd rather hold it in. Of like, course, I'm just yeah. not going to, like. Ruffle feathers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But this time I was mad. I was right. like, no, like, ugh, I'm going to say something. get your stepladder. And then, like, obviously for the next, like, hour, I was so nervous. I was yeah. like, oh, my God, are they going to write right. back? Right. Like, are they going to be mad? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and I left my house. I went to go run an errand, do something. I came back maybe an hour or so yeah. later. And there was a response. Oh. I got a response from my anonymous laundry mover. Amazing. And they just said, sorry, girly. Oh. Sad face emoji. <laughs> Not the sad face. I can't tell if it was like sarcasm or like right. they were being like shady. Right. Or if they were actually like being genuine and were like, oh, crap. Like, right. I really did do that. I, um, I never know with girly. So, I, again, I can't tell, but it almost made me feel like a little bit. I was like, oh, okay. 
That's well, fine. I, I mean, guess. I think that you did the right thing. That's very brave of you, and I'm glad that you did that for yourself. Thank you so much. I was proud of myself, too. Yeah. Uh, whether or not it was a good idea remains to be seen, but I felt good about my choice. Everybody be chill. Give other people, like, one to two minutes of, like, floating time in the laundry room, I think, to come yeah. downstairs and Thank get your you. stuff. You're welcome. So today's confession gets into a topic that carries a lot of stigma, couples therapy. Most people think if you're in counseling, your marriage, relationship, whatever is about to be kaput. Not so. People seek out therapy together for a number of reasons other than hating each other's guts, like our reader today, who is very happy in her relationship and has a unique motive for therapy with her boyfriend. Confessions Robot, take it away. I love my partner so much, like stupid amounts, and I genuinely look forward to our future together. In preparation to take bigger steps forward in our relationship, I suggested that we should see a couple's therapist to prepare ourselves for marriage and everything that could come after it. He won't have it. He thinks it's a waste of money because our relationship is great as is. I see it as an investment in our future. Are there inexpensive ways to get this experience? Should I keep pushing him to give it a try? Our guest today is Shan Boudrum, who is a certified sex educator, dating coach, and intimacy expert. She is the host of the top podcast, Lovers and Friends with Shan Boudrum, which in its first year of production was nominated by the Ambies as the best wellness or relationships podcast. Shan is also the best-selling author of The Game of Desire and the co-host of The Peacock Show, X-Rated with Andy Cohen. Thank you, Shan, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hello. So we just heard this confession. Is this kind of a common scenario where someone in a couple wants couples therapy for even for positive reasons or negative reasons, doesn't matter, but the other person isn't into it? Absolutely. And I think it's really amazing that we've come to a place where this is more uncommon because if we think about our dating experience just 10 years ago, going to therapy meant the end of a relationship or the beginning of some right. major problems. It was never this thing that we right. did as a preventative measure. So I work as Bumble Sex and Relationship Expert, and they had a stat that said that 82% of people are more likely to go on a second date with somebody if they've gone to therapy, which I think is so interesting because, again, 10 years ago, it probably would have been the exact flip in reverse stat. So I think that this is great, but then also with keeping that in mind, we should not take for granted that for many people, therapy is very heavily stigmatized and there is a negative connotation that comes with it. And many people are not as open to it and that's okay. Yeah, I agree. I think that like in this day and age too, it is nice to be able to talk. I think our parents' generation, it felt less open of a dialogue between couples, but now I feel like it's more open. How do you feel about that, Veronica? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think it's such a beautiful pro now that it's like something that people find attractive in their dates. It's something that people want to see in their partners and it's yeah. the quality that people find really attractive. Exactly. And I love that that's trending upward. Me too. Me too. I think it's also important to note though that talk therapy is not the be all and end all. It's not the king of the space. There's so many different ways to invest in therapeutic mediums and I'm a big fan of Esther Perel, as I'm sure you guys are too. Mm-hmm. And I watched a podcast, which I've probably watched every podcast she's ever guested on, but I watched a particular podcast <laughs> and the host was like, I just have to be honest, Esther. I just want to clear the air and let you know that me and my wife, we have a great relationship, but unfortunately we've never gone to therapy. I know that's really bad of us. And she's like, why is that bad? Right, She's like, you right. have this podcast, you're speaking with me, you're probably invested in so many different wellness practices, so many different methods of insight, foresight, and hindsight, which really is what therapy is. 
And so talk therapy is not the only way that you can gain access to those things and the only ways that you can be mindful of your relationship and mindful and to improve your relationship. So I think that was really great permission because at that time I had also never gone to therapy. So I felt like a bit of a fraud Hmm. and I do very heavily and very enthusiastically recommend other people do it. But personally, it hasn't been as impactful in my personal life. I do recognize a big part of that is my lack of effort in finding the right therapist because it's a relationship, Mm -hmm. y'all. Like you got to date around and really figure it out. And so I haven't made the space to do that. But I think hearing her say that gave me the permission to say, I invest a hell of a lot of time in therapeutic mediums, even if it's not necessarily talk Mm -hmm. therapy. That doesn't mean that I'm still not invested in myself and in the future of the people that I love. Totally. That's a great way to segue into the first question I was thinking. Um, Is this a red flag that her partner is disagreeing about couples therapy? Is this something that she should be keeping an eye on? I think you guys should answer that question first because I think it's an individual. Red flags are really just about for you, right? Like what do you prioritize? What's meaningful for you? This would not be a red flag for me. And I'll reflect on why I don't think it's a red flag overall. But I would love to hear your take first. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And kind of like researching this question, um, I was talking to a few people about this scenario and there was a wide range of reactions. Someone was like, that's a huge red flag. Oh, my God. Like she really wants this and he won't support her. Other people were like, just feels like it's kind of a mismatch of whether it's like backgrounds, like maybe for him, it was he didn't grow up with therapy and he doesn't know it, like know what kind of benefits it could bring. Maybe it's a money thing. Maybe they're tight on cash and it doesn't, that doesn't feel like the place to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal opinion, Shan, is that like I think I'm with the latter team. I think that it is just kind of like a mismatch of motives in this situation. What do you think about that, Veronica? Honestly, I don't really think it's a deal breaker at all. Like you said, it really depends on the person's situation. I do think that if it's something that's really meaningful to her, though, and that would make a huge difference, give her peace of mind, make her feel better, if it's something that would make her happy, I would wonder and probably ask if that wouldn't be a reason for her partner to consider it a little bit more seriously. Um, But it is a big investment, and it's a big investment not just of money but also of time. Maybe you're a little bit scared of it, and that's okay. I think everyone is different, and I think it just is a matter of communication where they have to sort of like – find a middle term. And like Shan said, there are also a ton of other options that aren't necessarily 100% talk therapy that they could lean on. Yeah. There was a really great article in Bustle that was about essentially therapy making people more self-centered. I can't remember the title of it right now. But I do think this notion that people who prioritize therapy are better or superior people also is not really accurate, Mm -hmm. right? Like, making a bunch of assumptions about this guy and what he prioritizes just because talk therapy in particular is not something that he sees value in. That doesn't mean that there aren't other methods and mediums. And so when you get to an impasse in a relationship, there's compromise, there's concession, and then there's a compatibility check-in, right? Where you can say, okay, fundamentally are we very different in this way? But the compromise between going to therapy and not going to therapy is pretty vast. Like there's some areas that there's just really no middle ground. Like the compromise between having kids and not having kids is like not having, it's like maybe it's having a dog, but it probably isn't servicing that. So that's when you get to those areas where you're like, there is no in-between. There's tons of in-between that you could invest in before you double down and say, you have to concede to my needs or we have to figure out if we're even going to work together at all. Because if this matters to me, it doesn't matter to you. That must mean that there's a bigger issue here at play, which um, obviously we have probably 150 words to go off of, but it sounds like they both could stand to do more exploration 
of different, more accessible, more inviting methods that would work for both of them. And then perhaps in success, her partner might say, wow, I really enjoyed the benefits of this. That's a big thing too. A lot of men have never experienced the benefits of working on themselves and working on wellness. And it hasn't been prioritized for them in their life. And so you have to start with something small like a love language quiz and do that together. And then afterwards, make sure it's impactful for them. Make sure you take their results and you apply it to your everyday life so that they can say, wow, that exercise I thought was pretty stupid um, and pretty meaningless yeah. <laughs> actually has had very big impact in our relationship and has made me feel more loved and given me access and tools to love my partner better. So if yeah. that can work for us, maybe then there's other things that we can do along these lines that will continue to advance our bond. Right, exactly. Yeah. I think you made a really good point there because I was going to ask about the toxic masculinity, not just around therapy, but within family dynamics whether, you know, if the, if the person comes from an immigrant family and perhaps therapy was never an option because you should keep your feelings to yourself or talking about your home life maybe isn't something that you feel safe doing. So I think that's a really good point. But, you know, you don't hear a lot about this kind of like proactive therapy often. I don't think kind of like when you're in a happy place and you're looking towards the future and, you know, you're talking about maybe how to raise your family. Um, you know, if you want kids, how do you want to raise those kids? That kind of happy place counseling, what can it look like? And um, what kind of benefits can you get from it other than just building a family together? I think that, again, 10 years ago, as much as therapy wasn't as common, people who were involved in the church did go to premarital counseling. And that was a right. big cultural norm for a lot of individuals, even though that there was definitely right. mm-hmm. things that were taught in that that were not helpful, you know, i.e. messages around purity, messages around duty, Mm -hmm. but in terms of communication styles and creating pathways to resolve conflicts, it was really impactful for them. Obviously, I think that's the power of being able to choose your own therapist because then you choose somebody who aligns with your values and you don't end up inserting a bunch of, you know, religious or cultural values that don't actually apply to the culture of your relationship. But in general, yeah, there are massive benefits. I think I can anecdotally say a lot of friends who I know who did premarital counseling within a Christian context, actually look back on that and say like, that was a useful exercise for us. Interesting. I know I know a couple who actually, when they got married, they went to a, um, a counseling kind of thing, like almost like more like a course to learn how to argue, which I thought was like very forward because arguing is obviously so personal and people, you know, you bring emotions to the table, you have to be vulnerable. Some people, myself included, are not great at conflict. <laughs> so I think that, you know, learning how to like arguing isn't you hurt me or you're bad. It's I have this feeling and you don't. And I think learning how to communicate like that can be so valuable. Yeah, 100%. And like using I statements and really listening. I think people struggle, people, I sometimes yeah. will struggle too, <laughs> to listen and to really absorb what somebody is saying and not immediately think like, well, how do I feel about this? How does this make me feel? And really trying to find a nice, friendly middle term. I think, isn't that what partnership is? Yeah. A hundred percent. It made me think about this as um, a friend of mine, their kid recently started going to jujitsu. And a lot of jujitsu is about mental control and conflict resolution skills. A lot of it is about what you do before you fight and how you prepare your mind to Mm. be more harmonious. And so I wonder if 
her partner came to her and was like, I think we should do jujitsu together. I've heard a lot of benefits from it. Mm -hmm. I think that we can learn some meditation practices. I really enjoy doing it. I wonder how they would feel. They'd be like, I want to learn jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. because just with a different label. Right, exactly. (laughs) You know, it's a different therapeutic medium possibly, and, and it's an outlet for aggression. But if it's not in line with her interests and, you know, what she values, you know, what, would she be able yeah. to empathize more and be like, I get it. Like, I liked some aspects of that, but it seems like a heavy investment of time and a heavy investment of resources and a physical labor. Is there a different thing that we can both do that gets us to the same outcome? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Shan, do you think our listener should continue to try to convince her partner to go to therapy? Do you think she should keep pushing? Or do you think this is something that she should sort of like lay off and like we've been saying, try to find a middle term. If it's really important to her, should she keep pushing? I think push. I mean, influence is definitely a great word to use. And influence, that's the benefit of partnership. When I'm with somebody, I want to bring the best of me and then leave the door open for the best of you to expand the parts of me that I already like and work on the parts of me that are not as lovely. And so absolutely, you should try to influence. If you really see a value in this and you see a pathway for value for your partner, knowing what you know about them, then yeah, lead by example, go to therapy your damn self and come back Mm -hmm. and talk about it excitedly and never in a way that feels like pressure, but just informing. Again, do things like the love language quiz or jujitsu or start meditation together every single morning. My husband and I have never gone to couples counseling and we were in a struggling place in our marriage where I was pregnant with my second kid and it was hard for me to enjoy life because of my experience and my body was so mm. negative. And that was starting to trickle over in mm. our enjoyment of each other. We were just having a conversation, just reassessing, you know, why is the flow so hard and how do we make it a little bit easier? And we mm. both asked the question, like, you know, do we want to enlist the help of a therapist? And we were like, nah, just because time right. was actually one of our enemies at that, you know, given moment, we already were so mm-hmm. strapped for time. So devoting time right. to work on things was like, can we just devote that time to doing something else? And so that was an agreement that we yeah. came to. But there was a small practice that I learned from listening to a podcast where every morning the couple woke up and they asked each other three questions. They said, what do you want to accomplish today? And then each partner would say that out loud. And that would allow a pathway for us to honor each other's top priorities. Mm-hmm. So if I know that yeah. bar nine today, you that. want to clean the garage, whatever. I'm going to make sure that I arrange our day so that you can do what's important to you. So at the end of the day, you don't go to bed thinking, I did everything for everybody else and nothing for me. And then the second question is, what do you want to let go of today? Is something that's been weighing on Mm. you, something that's kind of heavy for you that you want to really like release? And then I'm going to make sure, again, as your partner, that I can champion that in some way. And then lastly, just what are you grateful for? Um, And just starting off the day Mm. with that kind of tone to it. And so those three simple questions are something that I'm not going to say we do every day. We did it every day for like two months straight. Now that I'm saying it, we should go back to doing that. But those are small therapeutic tools that we used every day, even though we've never formally gone to therapy. You can still take free tools and resources from podcasts or a variety of different sources, apply that to your relationship. And then again, if your partner gets the passion that you have and you light their fire, they might be the ones dragging you to therapy next month. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, I think in a lot of relationships, it can be friendships too. You think that their person is a mind reader. It's like, oh, I really want to clean that closet. I've been trying to clean that closet for weeks. It's a mess. And it's like you think that your partner knows that too. And it's like every time you walk past that closet and you do a little side eye and it's like <laughs> he, he should know that I want to clean it, right? Like <laughs> I think that's kind of how we operate. So asking those kinds of questions is really just kind of breaks the ice. Absolutely. And I especially love, Shannon, what you said about going to therapy on your own because so much can be unpacked just like on a personal level between you and a therapist. 
And even that kind of therapy and like those kinds of conversations can help you tap into like the what you were saying before me about right. like, well, why do I think that he should know that I need him to right. be in the closet if I don't say it? You know, exactly, exactly. So those are the things that like a therapist one on one can help you figure out as well. And then there's so much you can learn right from individualized therapy. Um, I freaking love my therapist, and yeah. like there's so much that I've learned from just like one-on-one conversations with her about myself and my life and my history and identity and like all of that really is able to bleed out so beautifully into like every other relationship I have not just with others but with myself with my work with my hobbies Chan let's put you in the therapist chair for a second and imagine that you are with this couple imagine they made it to therapy and they're looking ahead at a future together assuming that they're they're not married or engaged yet What are the kind of questions that you would ask them about, like, how they want to build a future together? What are the things that you would help to kind of establish the tent poles in their future? One of my favorite TED Talks just talks about um, the three tent poles of a healthy relationship are about emotional regulation, self-insight, and mutuality. And I think that good couples counseling practices work on those three things. I mean, kind of to what we were talking about the importance of going to therapy alone, you know, two-thirds of what make up a healthy, connected relationship have to do with yourself. Um, managing and understanding mm. who you are and what your triggers are, regulating your emotions, because what tends to happen in relationships is that everywhere else in the world we regulate and we make sure that if we think it, we don't say it, that we put some time between yeah. our feelings and our actions. But when we are in romantic relationships, a lot of us are like, this is who I am all the time, every moment. Right. And that can be <laughs> very overwhelming. So learning to do that for yourself is really important. Learning how to check in with your partner and then the mutuality component, I think, is where you come together. And so I do think that in success, really great couples counseling works when people have done individual work on their own and now can come together. Because a healthy relationship to me is my relationship with myself, my partner's relationship with themselves, and the relationship that we choose to build together. And so we're constantly working and trying to find a way to triangulate these three different priorities where none is more important than the other, mm. right? I, I wouldn't argue that my yeah. relationship is more important than my relationship to myself, even when you expand and build a family. So I do think that having that base there is a great way to then enter into couples therapy. Interesting. I think that too, for as many ways that you can try to prepare for a future together, whether it is marriage or just being lifelong partners, um, there's only so much I think that you can plan for in a relationship. There's just like things that come down the line that you don't expect, whether there's death in the family, whether there's illness, whether there's anything in the family. And there's, I think just establishing that base is the biggest thing that you can do. Like, how do we communicate? What are our morals together? And, you know, how can we help each other? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think even like Shan was saying, that individualized therapy could also be really helpful here. Shan, I'm curious what you think that individual work sort of looks like. Does it look like individual therapy? Does it look like other healthy habits? I am somebody who I think has done an immense amount of work and really hasn't done the bulk of that through therapy. And majority of the time, it is enhanced conversations with people that I know and love and care about and being very curious and asking great questions. Being a good interviewer, I think, is a huge therapeutic advantage where Mm. you're genuinely curious about the experience of other people and how other people experience you. And that's something that really early on, actually, I'm grateful for this. My parents um, fought a lot as many people in our Mm. generation's parents did because my parents got married at 22 years old. So, and what my parents did, which was interesting is they would use us as mediators a lot of the times from the age of 10 and up in their arguments. Wow. And that provided a unique opportunity for me and my sister, because my sister's two years older than me, to see 
what adult conflicts look like, and also to be engaged in conflict resolution, and then always to be presented with both sides. So that was like a huge advantage for me. And so whether you do that in your personal life or you listen to podcasts where you're listening to other couples do therapy, I think that helps you to identify like, oh, wow, here's blind spots that people often have in conflict that you wouldn't be aware of unless like you're, you know, knee deep in it. So Esther Perel has that podcast where should we begin? Which is a great one. And I think there's, there's a show on TV too where you can watch uh, people's therapy sessions. But that's a really great way. Podcasts, quizzes. I am the quiz queen. I actually have on my website, thegameofdesire.com, something called the self workbook. And it's compiled of all my favorite personality and assessment quizzes that allow you to identify cool. your turn on triggers and your love languages. Myers-Briggs letters and your big five personality and your sexual accelerator, your sexual breaks, like all these things allow you to deeply know yourself because that's a big thing too. A lot of people don't even really know themselves or if they do, it's something that's yeah. called tacit knowledge where there's not words to it. It's like you can feel it, but you don't actually know how to communicate that to others. And if you know yourself, mm. but can't use the words to describe that to other people, it's only 50% useful. So I think there's a lot that you can do yeah. for free on your own before you go to talk therapy if that doesn't feel accessible to you. Yeah. I think we we lean on TikTok a lot, especially like Gen Z millennials, but there are a lot of great resources on TikTok that you can find. Absolutely. There are even like card games that you can buy yeah. that like drive conversations and make you ask questions and make you really learn about each other in a really almost like game-like way. I really love that. You know, we're talking a lot about this kind of like proactive therapy, as we mentioned, this kind of had had religious connotations in the past. Are there other kinds of therapy that couples or individuals overlook, whether it's the argument kind of counseling, learning how to argue, things like that? Are there other kinds of interesting niche counseling choices that you could make as a partner that people might not know about? Yeah, movement, somatic, Reiki, exercise. There's many different modalities for communication and Talk is what makes humans superior. It is our superpower. It is a gift. And so I'm not trying to minimize that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other methods that other people are more comfortable in, more experienced in, and maybe can see more value in. I'm actually really new to breathing. Hmm. I've heard so Ooh. many people tell me the power of breathing, you know, mostly during sex. That's what I do. So uh, I was having right. a conversation with somebody who was saying that we're talking about what sex sounds like. And I was like, you know, sex sounds like right. for me, like how you think it sounds Fire faster, harder. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, and he's like, oh, OK, sex sounds for me like. <sighs> and I was like, wow. And then he was just talking totally the benefits of doing that. And of course, we hear yeah. this from everything, you know, when you're feeling stressed or when you feel tired, right. when you're feeling low energy, like the power of breathing. And so that might be a therapeutic tool that you never thought of that doesn't include words, but includes your mouth and can make a very big difference. And so that's something that I've been exploring lately. And if you keep your ear to the streets, you'll probably hear a lot of other cool things that people are doing too, to get more in touch with themselves and to get closer to their partners. Yeah. The breathwork thing is so interesting. I hear a lot about, you know, kind of mismatches in sex drives in couples where, you know, one partner always wants to do it. The other person isn't you know, as fired up as the other person. So I've heard a lot of, you know, more people talking about, um, I saw this like TikTok. It was, um, again, the TikTok is everywhere. (laughs) It was a couple role playing um, how the person initiates sex. Mm. Um, And like, you know, I'm putting this in a man-woman relationship, but there's oftentimes where men will like kind of like grab your boob as a joke and be like, you know, for them, that's like, you know, I'm gearing up, I'm touching your boobs, I'm touching your butt, things Mm. like that. And that's like, 
people obviously are not turned on by that or or they, you know, choose other kind of initiation tactics that just simply don't jive with the other person. And I think a lot of that kind of down to the breathwork thing is like being it's intimacy at the end of the day. And Mm -hmm. it requires so much more than just like put the penis in the, you know, it's like, you know, where where are you mentally? Where You know, what happened to you today? You know, how did you wake up? What are you thinking about? It's so much more than just that. You know, if people are afraid to enter counseling, whether it's individual or with someone else, what kind of advice would you give to them for their first time? I think if you're nervous about it, think about where your comfort zone is and then try to take one small step outside of that. So instead of trying to go deep, maybe go very shallow. Talk about what you like to talk about, what you feel good about, and then at some point, introduce a concept that's a little bit uncomfortable for you. Lean into what you're doing right before you get to the stuff that you feel like you're doing wrong. It is a first date in in many different regards, right? Like mm-hmm. one therapy session is not supposed to cure anybody or give you massive ahas. Yeah. Veronica, you proclaimed very loudly that you love therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what would you tell someone who's showing up for the first time? Um, go into it with an open mind. Go yeah. into it with a lot of patience. Yeah. Don't be afraid to explore and don't be afraid to also vocalize. I mean, I think it's super important to be very comfortable with your therapist. And if there's ever like a topic that you don't want to talk about or something that you maybe don't feel ready to do yet, I think it's okay to say that too. Yeah. A therapist that I used to go to previously, she wanted me to do an exercise where I was talking to somebody and pretending that they were sitting in the chair next to me. And Uh I had to sort of like talk to like this invisible person and I'm sure that that works for people but I just personally did not feel comfortable or really ready in my journey to to do that yet so I just told her like listen no I think I actually I think I actually tried it once yeah and I was I was talking to the ghost and eventually (laughs) I was just like yeah listen doc I don't think that this is working for me like I think we should try something else and she was like absolutely heard you next thing and like I was proud of myself for being able to vocalize that and I don't even think that that's something that I could have done had I not already been in therapy so you know it's like just figuring out what works for you and being patient with yourself I think are two of the most probably important things yeah I think that you know so this this is something that we hit on to a few times in the conversation but just to be like super explicit about it like it takes a while to find usually a therapist that really mm-hmm. clicks with you. And I think, you know, you should, like you saying, no, I don't think that exercise was good um, and isn't benefiting me right now. Like being open to, you know, of course, try and give the person a chance. But if you're really not connecting or like, you know, I, I saw a therapist and her style was to kind of sit in silence and let me just talk. Oh, I know never, exactly. Never probed about. me with any questions. And like it was my first time in mm-hmm. therapy. So I'm like, I don't even know like what I'm supposed to be saying. Mm-hmm. And like I was like, oh, maybe next session will change. Maybe this is like just a first, second time thing. It never changed. And mm. I was like, this just isn't for me. Like I'm not here. I, I can talk to myself. I already talked to myself in my head all day. Like this isn't <laughs> what I want to pay, you know, extra insurance money for. Um, so, you know, it is matchmaking just as much, you know, dating. Don't be afraid to try other other folks. So, you know, Shan, just to kind of wrap up, like how would you start this discussion about going into couples therapy if you think that it's right for your relationship? I think you start it with what Veronica did with a personal testimony and sharing your experience excitedly. Mm-hmm. It really changed things for me. What do you do for you? 
an open-ended question. What do you do to learn more about you? What do you do to work on you? How do you even feel about that? You should back it up, right? Because some people don't even like that language, right? Like, what are you doing to work on yourself? Mm -hmm. Like, who said I wanted to work on me? So I think it's you just approach it with curiosity and very light. Lead with your own enthusiasm and excitement to frame the conversation so the person knows that you're coming at this from, uh, this is a special space to you. So you don't want to be like, what do you think about therapy? And the person says a bunch of negative stuff. And you have to be like, okay, so I've been going since I was three. And then now it's a very strange conversation. So- yeah, give your experience, right. give your enthusiasm, and then give them an open floor to express what's worked for them. And then if they don't have an answer, they might be inclined to start asking you more. If they don't and they switch the conversation, that's also a great indicator for you of, okay, this is an area where I'm going to have to do a lot of coaching to get this person. Because I yeah. do think everybody should be doing something. You don't have to be going to talk therapy, but there should be a clear answer to the question how do you work on you? How do you actively love mm-hmm. you? How do you actively work on your wellness? If you don't know how to answer yeah. that, that's an indicator for me that I'm going to have to start doing a lot of touring. And I'm not always in the mood yeah. to be someone's tour guide. So I think that if you do ask those questions to somebody and you get a response back that is a little jarring, you should take that in mind of like, am I willing to invest the time to therapize yeah. this person into even considering therapy? That could be yeah. a lot of work. I also wonder if this listener's partner would be down to like almost guest star in her own individual therapy. Mm. Like I feel like that way it's not like a we're signing up for this weekly commitment for right. the foreseeable future. It's just I'm doing it on my own yeah. and it would mean a lot to me if you came just one time. Yeah. Maybe that could be something that they would be open to as yeah. well. Yeah. I have heard of that. And I think also just saying, you know, you guest star, that's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's sexier than the sign up for therapy together. Yeah. I love that. Well, Sham, you talked a little bit earlier about when you and your partner started every day by asking each other questions. What are three questions that you would tell someone to ask their partner every day? Hmm. I think, one, what's your base mood right now? Are you irritated? Mm-hmm. Are you groggy? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you tired? Like, Not how are you yeah. feeling? Like, What is your base mood right now? Yeah. Do you want my help in changing the trajectory of that? Mm-hmm. Do you want my help supporting that? And how can I do that? I think I would just start the day like that with those three questions. That's just something I can think about for myself. I have two kids, so our days start with a bang. They never right. start like <laughs> slow. There's no morning routine. Like It's not Instagrammable. Yeah. We wake up when the kids wake up and then we have to go. And a lot of the times you're like tripping to catch your feet. And I notice that my partner is sometimes in like just a frantic mood or in a, you know, a negative mood. And that can be hard because I can snap yeah. on them because I'm like, we're trying to manage the kids, like get with it. But if I took the time to stop, and right. like, hey, what's your base mood right now? Do you need five minutes in the bathroom? Do you need a moment to yourself? And you know, if you're in a great mood, how do I make sure that like, I'm carrying that forward to be a supportive partner for you? That's where therapy starts. It's like the small, immediate gratification of being curious about your own experience and somebody else's and then compassion. I think that there's like levels, like the sympathy is, I see what you're going through. I feel bad for you. Empathy is I see what you're going through and I can feel it as if I'm in it with you. And then compassion is Mm -hmm. I see what you're going through. I feel as if I'm going through it with you and I want to do something to lift your load. So compassionate questions, I think are ones that people can feel the benefit from immediately and can definitely open up their mind 
to different mediums of wellness. Yeah. And I also love that you include, do you want my help in regulating your mood? Because I think often, like, especially people who are trying to be empathetic or trying to help, you know, they'll kind of automatically say, oh, you know, well, when I was feeling sad last week, I went and got myself a coffee and that made me feel better. Like trying to give solutions from your own perspective. And sometimes that's just not helpful. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. cool. That'll, you know, make me feel worse because then I'll be anxious for my coffee. <laughs> you know, I think that asking for permission to, you know, whether they want that, because sometimes people just like want to work through their own shit. You know, but I love that. And I also think that like the great point you brought up, Shan, about, you know, for couples who have children waking up with a bang and starting maybe the morning isn't the right time to check in. Maybe like it's in the afternoon at work and you can just text your partner and be like, you know, ask that question. Maybe at that point they've had a little bit more time to like actualize their day and their feelings. Um, I know some people just wake up and they're, they're not morning people. It's like, oh, I didn't even realize I was sad until about noon today. Yeah. Um, but I love I love how simple that is. Veronica, what would you add to that? Do you have any questions that you personally would like to be asked or that you would want to ask a partner? Something that comes to mind is I was having a conversation with a friend a couple months ago, and she told me that something that she asks her partner is um, – or that they ask each other when they're in a moment of conflict is like, what are you really trying to say? Mm. So maybe they are being passive aggressive about something. Maybe they are, you know, not even really talking. Maybe they are, or maybe they give like a half truth. Maybe they like say something in pieces and you're trying to really understand where they're coming from. It's all right. What are you really trying to say with that? Like, like tell me what you really mean. Yeah. And it just kind of invites them to just tell the full truth because yeah. maybe there's something that you're not saying. Maybe there's something you're hiding. Maybe there's yeah. something you don't feel comfortable getting into or you just know it's going to be like a whole thing. Yeah. This is like an invitation to be yeah. like, let's actually get to the bottom of this. You know? Yeah. Some people need that push, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, Shan, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Where can we find you on social media and otherwise? I have a podcast called Lovers and Friends. You can listen to it wherever you listen to this podcast. And that's a very proud source of of work that I do right now. And so thank you for inviting me here on your podcast today. It's been a blast. You're welcome. Lovers and Friends is excellent. Kennedy has to listen to it all the time. Cosmo Confessions is made in collaboration with Edit Audio. I'm your host, Mia Lardier. This episode was produced by Mia Lardier, Ali Sirwa, and Maria Passingham. It was edited, mixed, and mastered by Maria Passingham. Thank you to our production manager, Kathleen Speckert, and our executive producer, Steph Colburn. As always, thank you to the whole Cosmo and Edit Audio teams for their time and input. And an extra special shout out to our guests and to you for listening. Now tell us your secrets. Link is in the show notes. Secrets, secrets are...